we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us this morning, and we trust that you are here in our midst. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In 1980, Rosie Ruiz won the Boston Marathon. She held her title for eight days. Then it was discovered that rather than running the whole course, she'd taken the subway from Cambridge to Boston, emerging from the crowd half a mile before the finish line. Suspicions were first aroused by the fact that she was neither sweaty nor out of breath, and of course, as newspapers observed at the time, by her, quote, flabby thighs. But you can see how it took them eight days to catch her, right? Almost 5,500 people ran the Boston Marathon in 1980, and around 30,000 run it now. I mean, have you ever seen the start of a marathon? It's this huge mass of people sort of seething toward the starting line and almost spilling over it, and then the gun goes off, and it's like a horde of locusts descending on the course. It's totally believable to me that somebody could start the race, jog a few hundred yards, melt into the crowd, jump in the subway, and make their way to the finish line undetected. Now, I've been thinking about the start of a marathon and about cheating my way straight to the finish line a lot this week as I was considering this reading from 1 Corinthians. There's a lot in this reading, as I'm sure you heard, and my mind and heart was drawn to just one line. This is Paul writing this letter to a church in Corinth. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, I'm willing to admit that Perhaps Rosie Ruiz and marathon running aren't the very first thing that jump into your mind when you hear this reading. But for me, I can't think of anything else, especially when I hear that last sentence. We proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Greeks, but to those who are the called, 
Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. My problem, see, is that back in seminary days, I remember it very clearly. I spent a lot of time with a particular friend talking about this passage and how to preach it, how to make sense of it, how to explain it. And as we discussed it, a particular image came into our minds. And all these years later, I can't get away from it. It's sort of how some people instantly connect a certain song or even a certain smell with a moment in their lives, even if there's no obvious connection between the two. So you're going to have to forgive me this quirk. When I read 1 Corinthians here, I think of a marathon. I think of the start of a marathon in particular, the crowd into which Rosie Ruiz got lost. So follow me here for a second. I want you to imagine, this shouldn't be hard, that life is a race, a marathon. You've probably heard this before. It's a very common metaphor. It's even in the Bible on several different occasions. Everyone is trying to get to the finish line, whether they are a Christian or not. We might think of it in its most broad sense, this finish line that we're all striving toward as sort of the place where everything is okay. The place where you can finally rest. What Christian theologians might call justification. The world has other words for it, as we're going to see in a second, but it's just the destination, the place everyone wants to get. The goal. Rest. So picture it. The race of life has just begun, but instead of the 5,500 people who ran the Boston Marathon in 1980, or even the 30,000 people that run it now, it's all 8 billion people on earth. 8 billion people striving, struggling, working, surging as quickly as they can toward the finish line, trying to make everything okay. How are we going to get there? Well, most marathon runners in real life have a plan that they bring with them into the race. They want to run so many miles at such and such a pace, and then so many more at another pace. And then if their plan has worked correctly, they have enough energy left to sprint through the finish. Or so I'm told. I did run track as a younger man, but nothing longer than a mile. Even so, I always had a plan to run a mile race. It's, of course, much less critical. If you go into a marathon without a plan, it may kill you. Runners in the race of life have a plan, too. A strategy for surviving the race. And this is where we're going to really dig into our reading. Paul talks about two kinds of people as he writes to the Corinthians here. He calls them Jews and Greeks. He, of course, is talking about ethnic groups, but he's using them as examples of kinds of people too. He means, on the one hand, the people who have the law, the Jews, God's chosen people, and on the other hand, the ones who didn't have the law, the Greeks. And as we'll see, we've got two groups of people here trying to win this race, the race of life, trying to make everything okay, by two different methods. They have two different plans to survive this race. Now the Jews, the law keepers, were, as Paul saw it, trying to win by working really hard. That was their strategy, following the rules, keeping to the course, doing the workouts. In short, this is the group of people 
trying to save themselves. On the other hand are the Greeks, the Gentiles, people who don't have the law. These are people who are mostly out for themselves, the sort of eat, drink, and be merry types, who didn't want anything to get in the way of their fun. These are the people who think that everything is just fine the way it is. They don't need workouts or courses or rules. These are the people, in short, who don't think they need to be saved. So we have, on the one hand, a people who, by their work, are trying to save themselves, and another people who don't feel like they need to be saved at all. So picture it with me again. The gun has just gone off, the marathon has begun, and the crowd surges as one across the starting line. And then, and this is where my illustration gets weird, something crazy happens. A giant stone falls from the sky into the middle of the race. Right in the midst of the course, a giant stone falls from the sky. I apologize, but this is the illustration that came into our heads all those years ago, and I can literally not think of a better one. I spent a couple hours trying this week. (laughs) So a giant stone crashes into the middle of the race. What do the runners do? Well, some run straight into it, crashing to the ground, cursing this stone's existence, knowing that it's going to cost them a chance to win. Others pay it no mind, thinking it a profoundly silly thing and simply try to divert around it like a line of ants heading back to the nest. But there it is, a giant rock in the middle of the race. And now with that image in your mind, listen again to St. Paul. We proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Here's where all of this was going. The cross of Christ is a giant stone thrown into the middle of the eight billion person race of life. To the law keepers and rule followers, those whom Paul calls the Jews, it's a huge stumbling block. They can't get over it. They can't get around it. It trips them up. This announcement about a God who came to earth and then died. A God who says that you cannot be saved by rule following. A God who has rules, yes, but a God who then claims that his rules are so holy that only his son can follow them. A God who rescues, but not those who can muster up by their own willpower the radical obedience that he requires, not the achievers who leave other people in their dust, but who instead saves the bad people, the very people who are running away from him. A God whose incarnate son said that he came to save not the righteous, but sinners. This is an unavoidable obstacle. It cannot be overcome. Such a God is an affront to all of our effort, all of our striving, all of our working. Such a God seems, as Ted Turner so famously put it, like a crutch 
for losers. The cross of Christ is a stumbling block to hard-working, law-keeping people. Instead, those people attack this rock with all their strength. How dare this God claim that we might need something that we cannot provide for ourselves? That we have a problem that is critical unto death. That we cannot achieve our own salvation. The cross of Christ is a stumbling block to such people. And in their zeal to attack this stumbling block, they never reach the finish line. But what about the unbelieving world? How do they feel about the giant rock thrown into the midst of the race of life? What about the Greeks, the people who are into making themselves feel as good as they can, as often as they can? The, the people who are chasing after things like money, sex, and power, success, self-fulfillment. Well, those people couldn't care less. They stream around this rock to the left side and to the right, never stopping to wonder if such a ridiculous thing might be important. It's not going to help them get more money, more power, more sex, more success, so they pay it no mind. The cross of Christ is foolishness to the worshipers of worldliness and self. But these people have a long run ahead of them. Money, sex and power, self-fulfillment, these things exist to be chased, but can never be caught. That race is never ending. There's never any amount of those idols that will actually result in the self-fulfillment that we seek. No sum of money, no amount of power, no feats of sexual prowess can ever satisfy. That finish line just keeps on moving forever. And so these people will all die before they reach it. Their race will never be complete. So neither these Jews nor these Greeks, neither the rule followers nor the rule deniers, neither those who try to save themselves nor those who insist that they don't need saving, none of these people ever finish the race. But then there's you. Can you be honest with yourself? You went to bed last night regretting once again your inability to live up to the standard that God has set for you. You spent last week trying to do better than the week before, to love more deeply, to serve more selflessly, to live more honestly, all righteous and laudable goals, and yet you slumped into your pew this morning wondering if anything is any better at all. You've tried the rule-following life, and have discovered that you are, to borrow a phrase, the chief of sinners. You've tried the idol-worshiping life of self-fulfillment, too. You've seen the ravages of the worship of money and sex and power and accomplishment and self, not only in your own life, but in the lives of those around you. If anything, accumulating those kinds of things has let you down, rather than sustained you. So as the starting 
Khan sounded on the marathon of life, and the mass of humanity seethed forward. You were already exhausted. That's why you're here this morning. You felt, in some sense, called to be here. So when the giant stone drops into your path, don't see it as an extra impediment. Acknowledge the truth that you can barely move already. So do what neither the hard workers nor the self-fulfillers did. Stop running this harried, worn-out race of life. Come to the stone, to the cross of Christ, and find nothing less than the Savior of the world. Emblazoned on this stone are the words Jesus spoke from the cross. It is finished. The race is over, it proclaims. I have achieved victory for you. We proclaim Christ crucified, says St. Paul. A stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, no matter who you are, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross of Christ, that counterintuitive insult to people who would earn their own salvation and that disgusting melodrama to those who insist they don't have anything to be saved from, is the very power of God to the downtrodden, to the weak, to the sinner, to you and to me. The cross of Christ is, to bend a metaphor to the breaking point, the cross of Christ is Rosie Ruiz's subway ride from the starting line directly to the finishing tape. Almost before it has begun, the race is over and no energy has been expended. But this is not a cheat. You didn't expend any energy, but Christ gave everything, even his own life, for you. Now, of course, life continues. We still live in the midst of this race, and it is a marathon, not a sprint. It still hurts. We are still called to put one foot in front of the other in obedience. But the victory, the victory that we lined up at the starting line thinking that we had to achieve, that victory is won by Jesus for you. For our younger congregants, or perhaps just the young at heart, for whom perhaps Rosie Ruiz is not an illustration that's getting the job done. You can think of this stone dropped in the middle of the race as a port key from Harry Potter. There we go. In those books, a port key is an everyday object that has been imbued with magical powers. And if you touch it, you will be taken directly to your destination. No work, no effort, no travel required. It is instantaneous. The cross works like that. On account of Jesus, it takes you immediately to the finish line of life, reconciled and welcomed home to an almighty God with no work needed on your part. You need simply to believe that it can. 
And the good news continues to get better, even now. No matter what your preferred image is, Rosie Ruiz's subway ride or Harry Potter's portkey, the gifts just keep on coming. Now that the race is already won by Christ's accomplishment given to you, now you can actually run it. Now you are free. The Christian life is a race run on the other side of the finish line. As Isaiah 40 promises, they who wait for the Lord, those who come to the cross of Christ, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But it all starts with Christ's victory at the cross. He has defeated sin, death, and judgment once and for all. And in him, the victory that you could never win on your own has been given to you for free. Like Rosie Ruiz, you can take a shortcut straight to the finish line. Unlike hers, your victory can never be taken away. Because every inch of it was earned. Just not by you. It was earned by Jesus Christ. He is the one who hears God's voice, well done, good and faithful servant, and it is he who on the cross gave that acclamation to you. So wherever you are in your race, make your way right now, whether for the first time or the thousandth, make your way to the cross of Christ. In him and on his account, you are at the finish line already. Amen.